0: This edition of Halftime with Chuck and Drew. You listeners, besides really wondering why the heck you're even here and really grateful that you are, we always take time to introduce ourselves. I remain the perfect model of consistency, levity, and social grace, Chuck. And the guy on the other side of the mic remains the perfect complement to any social gathering. That includes (laughs) weddings, bar mitzvahs, birthday parties, brisses, fraternity keg parties and small coffee clutches
1: yeah if there's free food and free alcohol i am a perfect match for
0: it <laughs> but no longer funerals on that list after an unfortunate incident a couple of years ago involving a small animal in phoenix we don't want to talk about that and by the way he the is, lawyers
1: say that i shouldn't
0: he is the one the only drew yes yes And Drew, as always, we have to start our show by talking about what we've been watching. And I'm going to turn from the small screen of television to the large screen of movies. Now people are able to go back with the pandemic waning. People are starting to go back to movie theaters. I am one of them. I love to watch movies in the theater. Love to sit there with a big tub of popcorn and uh, a beverage of some kind. Some beverages need to be stronger than others because of certain movies I might wind up seeing. But I went to the theater recently to see the latest installment of the long-running Vin Diesel movie series, The Fast and the Furious F9, The Fast Saga. And I took my wife and my dad because it was his birthday. He loves action movies, and and so do I. And I have to admit, I kind of liked the movie. There was plenty of action, as usual, plenty of fights, shootouts, car chases and exploding vehicles. And in this particular edition of the Fast and Furious, even a trip to outer space, which I will not get into much depth, because of the fact that there are people out there who've yet to see this film and may want to at some point or another.
1: Yeah, okay. So I've seen the first one, Uh, at least, is that the one where he has to steal like the 50 cars?
0: They have like a car club. And what they're doing is they're, they're robbing people and all that stuff. And At that time, the Brian O'Connor character, who was played by the late Paul Walker, uh, he was charged as a law enforcement agency with stopping the gang, which was run by Vin Diesel. Yeah, That's the first one. The latest one is, well, all I can say is that if you can suspend your common sense and knowledge of reality and physics, which for me is really not that hard to do because (laughs) I have little knowledge of both, you can really sit back and enjoy this movie, and I'll give you the basic plot. It revolves around the conflict between Vin Diesel, who plays Dom Toretto, and his estranged younger brother, Jacob, who's played by John Cena. And Jacob Toretto has stolen a device that could create world domination for whoever has it and knows how to use it.
1: So I've actually, as far as what I've been watching, I've, I've kind of gone back and dug something up that you brought up And the Andy Griffith show is on Prime Video, and I had seen a couple episodes here and there and liked it, but I was like, yeah, I'll I'll just start watching them in sequence. And I knew it was good, but it's actually better than what I even remembered. He's, again, the sheriff and Justice of the Peace and everything else in this little town, and he's just dealing with all these crazy people and personalities, a little crazy himself. But uh, I I don't think that there's anything groundbreaking because everybody listening to this probably knows what it is. But if you hadn't seen it in a really long time, or you'd only seen a smattering of episodes, it is pretty funny.
0: It is. It's still a a great classic sitcom from the 60s. And uh, fortunately for me, I do like the show. I'll watch it occasionally at the house. But when I go to see my chiropractor, my good friend Chris Ginter, he generally has it running in the waiting room. He's got <laughs> yeah. a Roku or something like that, and he plays off that. And I, I saw a couple of episodes from the later '60s after Don Knotts had left the program as a regular character, but he came on the guest star a couple of times, and that was on the other day. One of yeah. them entitled "The Legend of Barney Fife." And uh, it's amazing how well that show is written. It really is. Yeah, it really
1: is.
0: (laughs) It's really put together well. It's a show that the entire family can watch and enjoy. Well, for me, it will remain an all-time classic sitcom of all time, one of the best, if not the best, of all time. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell you this. Uh, I didn't want to spring this on you until later in the show, but I think I'm going to go ahead and do this now. The Nielsen ratings are in for halftime with Chuck and Drew. Oh, this will be good. This is yeah, this is great. You realize we have a 75% share?
1: No. that is. I, I would have guessed it was like I would have been happy with a
0: 0. .75. Well, 75%, right. So three of the four members of the Nielsen family who live up the street from me do listen to <laughs> oh, our show. Okay,
1: joke. yeah, that's great.
0: Okay. <laughs> so the Nielsen family apparently likes us. I'm not <laughs> sure about the one kid in the family who doesn't seem to like us. Uh, he must be the sane one. Next time I catch him alone out in the street, he and I are going to have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I bet we can get that to 100% with the proper You're Right, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. shouldn't be too much yes. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and now oh. it's time for the segment of Halftime with Chuck and Drew, that I know that you truly enjoy the most. Yes, every week. That has everyone talking, especially me, because I'm the one that has to do this every show. <laughs> and from week to week, I have no idea how I'm going to be until the last minute sometimes. <laughs> But it's the part of the show where we reveal more about the marvelous manhood of my spectacular co-host, Drew Barnett. It's called Who Knew About Drew? Today on Who Knew About Drew, we discuss the magnetic personality of Drew. that has people absolutely flocking to him, as we all know and perhaps wondering how they can be released from that flocking and find the off switch. At <laughs> right. times. But they are flocking to Drew, and you know that, Drew, because yeah, it's tough for you to go out without the paparazzi pestering you at every it, turn. It kind of is,
1: yeah. I, I've Here started it. to work between midnight and 8 now because like you just can't go out in the daylight.
0: If, if Drew is nearby, a compass will always point toward him instead of pointing <laughs> north. This is how magnetic his personality is. This is why Drew must always wear nickel-plated underwear or a (laughs) copper hat in order to make sure that he's not misleading the GPS guidance systems in nearby vehicles or causing ships to run aground or screwing up the guidance systems of global missile strike systems that might be in the area somewhere, causing them to unnecessarily go off. True. All right. And the other thing is, is you ever see those kids' toys that have like the little man inside It's like a picture of a guy – He's hairless, and then they've got the metal shavings inside the little plastic bubble, and you take the magnetic wand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, okay. you, you give him a goatee. You give him long sideburns. You can put yeah, hair yeah, on top of yeah. head, all that stuff. Drew can actually do that with his finger. He does not need the magnetic wand. <laughs> this is true. So if you lose the magnetic wand for yours and your kid is crying, call Drew. He'll come to the house, and he'll help your child put a goatee on the little man and make everybody happy. So we move now to the actual segment of our show that might count for something, at least the first part of it, it's about sports. Last week, as you know, Drew, we talked a lot about the Hall of Fame and in great degree about some wonderful players who've been shut out of baseball's Hall of Fame for varying reasons. However, today we are going to focus on just one particular player because his case is really pretty fascinating, at least to me, and also perplexing. To some degree and we're talking about former Cleveland Indians Chicago White Sox and Baltimore Orioles slugging outfielder and designated hitter Albert Bell who was basically a terror on and off the field for a variety of reasons and he played from 1989 to 2000.
1: Yes and uh, I was a White Sox fan growing up I don't really know why my dad was also a White Sox fan that's probably explains why I was but I don't really have any ties to Chicago like you do but the only thing I can think of is that they were on in the city of Louisville because of the WGN Superstation but anyway for whatever reason I like the White Sox so my opinion of Albert Bell changed dramatically uh, in the middle of his career I, I used to hate him then I really started to like him
0: because he was with the White Sox
1: because he was with the White Sox
0: Now, let's talk about his on-the-field accomplishments. He only played 12 seasons, as we talked about, from 1989 to 2000. Now, the first couple of years, he ran into some stuff. I mean, he had an alcohol problem in his initial season with the Indians in 1989, only played in 62 games, and they sent him to rehab and to get his life in order. And he hit, I think, 225 that season. Then the next year with the Indians, he was up and down, only played actually nine games in the major leagues in 1990. But he was a full-time major leaguer from 1991 until 2000. Now, his numbers look like this, basically. He had to retire. I want to say this, too. He had to retire prior to his age 34 season in 2001 because – of a degenerative and chronic hip problem that doctors could find no way to fix. During his career, he was a five-time All-Star. He hit 381 home runs. He had 1,239 RBI and batted 295. He's also the only player in baseball history to ever have hit 50 homers and have 50 doubles in the same season, which he did back in 1995 in leading the Cleveland Indians to the American League pennant. And if you take away the first two years of Bell's career, which we talked about, when he was ages 22 and 23, and he didn't play that much, during his last 10 seasons in the majors, he averaged over 37 homers and more than 110 RBIs a season and hit 298 during that stretch. Now, granted, he was a pretty average fielder in the outfield, but he also did have two seasons where he had 16 assists from left field for the Indians. So, I mean, his numbers, if you look at those 10 seasons, were incredible.
1: They were. And I don't know what some of the knocks on him are as a player. He wasn't quite at 300, but there's players in the Hall of Fame that didn't hit 300, wasn't the best fielder, like you said, didn't have an exceptionally long career. When you look at some of the, you know, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, any of them, they typically had longer careers. But I think one of the biggest cases against him wasn't what kind of player he was so much as it was how he got along with the fans and the media. And he was just relatively not liked uh, by sometimes by his own teammates, but particularly not the people that covered the sport. And he had a reputation for having a really bad temper. Maybe not the most pleasant guy to be around, but I guess that gets back to sort of the question from last week. Should that be a factor or not if you're a Hall of Fame voter?
0: Let's give people some perspective, Drew, on some of the stuff that Albert Bell was involved in. Bud Black, who is a teammate of his, a pitcher with the Indians, nicknamed Bell Snapper. And some people just thought he was flat-out crazy. He was definitely volatile and surly. They called him Snapper because he could snap at any time. And I think one of the coaches for the Indians once said that he snapped at me. He's gone off on other coaches. You just never know which Albert is going to show up. And if you go back to his early days, he actually came up as Joey Bell. But after alcohol rehab, he decided he wanted a fresh start in his life. So he went back to his given name of Albert. And when he was at LSU, I mean – Albert Bell, people don't realize that he was also an extremely intelligent man. Well, he still is. He's still alive. He's a very intelligent man. He was number six in his graduating class of 266 at his high school. Then he went on to a career at LSU. He wound up chasing a heckling fan in the stands. It was suspended and ended up missing the College World Series. In the minor leagues, he destroyed part of a bathroom after a tough night at bat. In the majors... He became even more intense. He struck a photographer and a fan with thrown balls in separate incidents, charged the mound to fight pitchers a number of times, verbally chastised NBC reporter Hannah Storm before a World Series game, screaming obscenities at her after he told all the reporters to get out of the dugout, even though he didn't have the authority to do that. He was fined $50,000 for that. He chased some egg-throwing teenagers from his house on Halloween and once leveled Milwaukee Brewers infielder Fernando Vina with a vicious forearm while running the bases. And it was said by a friend of his that he used his emotions to propel him, especially his anger. I mean, this was a big guy, 6'2", 210 pounds of muscle. He was really put together very, very well. He just did not like people. Uh, He did not like reporters. He did not like some teammates. He did not like the opposition whatsoever. Back in 1987, because he was so surly and volatile, Atlanta Braves general manager Bobby Cox threatened his farm director with being fired if he chose the outfielder during the draft. Cleveland wound up picking him in the second round. That's how his attitude actually hurt him. When he was a junior at LSU, He went after a fan, as we talked about, who'd been shouting racial insults at him during the SEC tournament. They say that his personality changed, that he was a much nicer guy until after his sophomore season at LSU, when it was predicted by many that he would be taken as a high selection in Major League Baseball's amateur draft, and he was not. And then he became a very, very angry guy, and then also turned to drinking. And he gave up drinking. I mean, he was able to beat his alcohol addiction and use that energy for something more positive in playing baseball. But at the same time, he played mad, stayed mad, whether he was on the field or off.
1: Yeah. And I'm not saying it, I think it's, it's fairly obvious he had anger issues. I'm not going to get into psychoanalyzing him too much, but, you, you know, the people that knew him, the people that played with him, against him, and covered him can kind of attest to that. But when you look at some of these transgressions, not all of them, but some of them, chasing a fan down who was yelling racial slurs, yeah, that you need to let security handle that and not jump into the stands, but I don't think... Too many people would cry foul about that today. Going after teenagers that were egging your house, I think a lot of people would have responded the same way. You should call the cops and let them handle it, but I could understand you wanting to chase them down yourself. I'm not trying to defend him, but did you get to the point to where, yeah, he was an angry guy, but some of the things he got flack for he got more flack than maybe somebody else would have had they done the same thing. I mean, had Sammy Sosa or anybody else chased down a bunch of teenagers that were yelling racial slurs or throwing eggs at the house, would people have been like, Oh my God, that man's out of control.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember (laughs) the incident in 1991. It was at old Cleveland municipal stadium and there was a fan out there in the left field stands who was really giving him the business. And this was after he came back from, alcohol rehab and one of the things this guy was doing was inviting him to attend a keg party yeah. and bell picked up a foul ball and fired it into the fan's chest and he was suspended for six games for that The fan was okay he was you know i'm sure it stung pretty well uh, having yeah. a major leaguer with a major league arm firing a ball into his chest that's gonna hurt but uh, bell paid the price for it. he was you know, he was suspended for six games. Yeah, you can't do that kind of you stuff. Can't,
1: you, you can't do that,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he charged pitchers, uh, I think, in 92 and 93. He was fined and suspended for that. Uh, in 1994, he was actually suspended for, I think it was uh, seven games for using a cork bat. And, of course, he got the business from the fans for that, too, <laughs> right, as yeah. well. His 1995 season, he never won a Most Valuable Player award. But in 1995, and I, I went back and, and looked at the numbers for Albert Bell from that season, and, and they are really pretty incredible. We talked about the 50 doubles he had, 52 homers, he scored 121 runs, he knocked in 129 for the year. He hit 317, which was a career high. Now he hit 328 a little bit later on. I think for the White Sox. But uh, he didn't win the Most Valuable Player Award. He actually finished second to Mo Vaughn, who hit 298, had 36 homers. He did drive in the same amount of runs, but didn't score as many runs. But I think Vaughn's comment was that the baseball writers and those who voted took everything into account, including character, when they were voting for the award. And I thought about that. You know, Cleveland had not been to a World Series since 1948 and here comes bell leading them there and personality aside he was the most valuable player in 1995 in the al
1: yeah he was and there's nothing else you can point to other than character or personality or likability the other thing chuck you read some pretty impressive numbers there it was a shortened season that was the year right after the strike and they didn't play the full 162 games. I want to say it was 140 or it was...
0: 144.
1: Yeah, 144, because it was later getting started. The thing about that was that was a pretty rough year for baseball. A lot of fans were still really irritated with it. They were boycotting. They weren't as engaged. They weren't excited. Ballparks were half empty, but you had one of the storylines was this team in Cleveland that, like you said, hadn't been there in in almost half a century, suddenly is really good. They're selling it out. And it was a storyline that baseball really needed in order to get back on track because I remember this because 1992, 1993, it didn't seem like baseball could have been any bigger. It was every bit as big as the NFL, NBA, college football. And then after the strike, it wasn't. To this day, I don't think it's as big as it was in the late 80s and early 90s.
0: Well, I want to go back, and you mentioned the fact that the season was shortened because it started late in 1995. Of course, the season ended early in 1994 in August. Bell played 106 games in 94, hit 36 homers in those 106 games, drove in 101 runs, and I talked about three twenty-eight being his high batting average. Actually, it was in the season of 1994 – When he hit 357. And if you extrapolate those numbers over a full season, he probably hits 50 homers that year, too. Right. I mean, uh, had he been able to continue on in his career and play after his age 33 season for about four, five, six, maybe seven years, he would have had most likely 500 homers, which is sort of the magic number for getting into the Hall of Fame. Right. Find all of his antics on and off the field in his attitude, it would have been very difficult for people to vote against Albert Bell for the Hall of Fame. This is about not liking a guy. This is simply about not liking a guy and how he handles himself and his attitude toward you personally, not about the numbers which should matter. He is not viewed as a PED guy. He was compiling these numbers well before PEDs became a real big deal in baseball. I've never heard his name connected to PEDs. His numbers speak for themselves. And, Drew, I want to compare him to a couple of players who are in the Hall of Fame that people might recognize. Ralph Kiner, you may have heard of him. Uh, He played in the 40s and the 50s, Mm -hmm. mainly for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he, like Bell, had to retire because of injuries at a relatively young age. He retired at the age of 32, played 10 seasons. He hit 369 homers, drove in 1,015 runs, and had a career batting mark of .279. He was a six-time All-Star who led the National League in homers seven times while with the Pirates hitting 54 of them in 1949. He also played with the Cubs and for his final season with the Cleveland Indians. When you compare the numbers between Kiner and Bell, Bell compares very favorably. Another guy I like to compare Albert Bell to is former Minnesota Twins great Kirby Puckett, who played from 1984 to 1995. Also had to retire early. He retired going into the 1996 season at the age of 36 after losing the sight in one of his eyes due to glaucoma, which tragically cut his career shorter than it might have been otherwise. And during his 12-year career, Puckett had 2,304 hits, 207 homers, 1,085 RBI. He was a 10-time All-Star who played very well, of course, in the World Series. He had six gold gloves for his efforts in the outfield. But the things that Kiner and Puckett had going for them that Bell never had, both of those guys were extremely popular with baseball fans all around the country. They were well-liked also by those who covered baseball.
1: Right. And it's the writers that vote. Right. When you look at Albert Bell and you compare and you do a side-by-side case study like what you just did, he exceeds people that are already in the hall of fame if this were debate class and you had to and you had to say make an argument against keeping him out could I do it probably but it's easier to argue that he belongs in than it does that he belongs
0: out I think if you sat down with a bunch of people who knew nothing about baseball knew nothing about Albert Bell and some of his personal issues and you went through the numbers and you told them just to judge him by his accomplishments on the playing field and have them judge his accomplishments against some of his contemporaries and some of the greats of the game who are in the hall of fame i think to a man and to a woman they would be saying why is this guy not in the hall of fame right i agree and i hope that one day he really is i hope that he has been able to quiet his personal demons and he's living a happy life wherever he is right now probably uh, listening. I yeah maybe he's listening right now and, yeah. and if his attitude's what it was when he was a player i'm going to make sure that all my doors are padlocked although <laughs> yeah. really what i'm seeing is pretty <laughs> complimentary because i think he right. does belong in the hall of fame and now I, I think one day as history has a tendency to do it will put a more gentler shine around albert bell and people will realize. What a great hitter he truly was, and he does belong in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Well, that covers segment number one, and it's on to segment number two. Welcome to the second part of Halftime with Chuck and Drew. Generally, during this segment, we deal with pop culture. Today, I guess it's sort of pop culture because Drew is sort of a pop icon, as we've talked about a number of times. And we'll delve in some
1: circles. <laughs> yes.
0: We're going to delve into the straight out phenomenon involving Drew Barnett, his international popularity, where in Italy, he remains a god, has his own fan club. He's <laughs> going here later in July for a few weeks to bask in the love and adoration of his fans. Drew, I have to ask you, who the heck are these people, and how did you get to know them?
1: Well, let me see. Uh, I guess I initially met some of them back in college. Like, I've always been a huge soccer fan, and I sort of made friends with some of the international students. But one guy in particular that was not international, uh, former roommates, we're still really close friends, was a German major. And uh, I'd never been overseas or abroad at all, but he went to live in Germany for a while and he met his now wife in Germany she was from Italy so German was both of their second languages but they ended up meeting there and then became roommates she came here to live with him we were we were all actually roommates in the United States when we lived up in Cincinnati for a while. And we were still in our, I guess, earlier mid twenties when you
0: had your own little mini United nations going there.
1: Yeah, we, we kind of did. And like, you know, there were four of us in this house. So I started going over to visit them and visit some other people that they knew. And just over the years, year after year, after year, you kind of kept meeting people and getting to know them better and better and better. And now it's to the point to where, Whenever I go over there, there's barely time to see and do everything that you want to do, because it's kind of become quite this web or fan club or whatever you want to call it. But where I typically go, where they live, is is a village called Caprino, which is in the Verona province. If you're a Moorhead State basketball fan and you listen to the radio, I I think that the listenership there was about what it is for this show. Uh, Every now and then, we would drop an Easter egg, or I would. Uh, referencing Caprino or something in Caprino during the game. You had to really be listening to hear it. But the reason we did that, and we're not making this up, they were listening to Moorhead State basketball halfway around the world in this little village in Italy, listening to me and Chuck. And, you know, because they sort of love Moorhead. They follow the football games. Uh, They've got quite a bit of gear there are people sort of walking around this little village in the big Moorhead shirts. I don't know if they entirely know what that means. I, I don't know if all of them, some of them certainly do, understand the obvious euphemism with that. Part of me will always be in sixth grade. I think it's funny that there's people that speak a, a foreign language walking around in a big shirt that just says Moorhead on it. But, yeah. <laughs> but um,
0: I wonder if anyone takes a swing at them. <laughs>
1: But to them, it's just, you know, really their their friend from America brought it over and they're kind of excited about it. It's kind of their college team. Now, I don't know if they know us from Kansas or Notre Dame. They probably don't. You'd have to be quite a big sports fan to know the difference between AC Milan and Hellas. Those are two soccer teams. AC Milan is really good. Hellas is not. But to them, it's just they have the shirts and they have the, the gear and they watch the games and they know the guy on the radio and that's, it's kind of become their team a little
0: bit. Well, because I'm the lead radio play-by-play announcer, I know you fill in and help me with color. You yeah. Did past season, which I appreciated a great deal. Do they kind of know who I am in some way?
1: I guess so. Yeah, they they probably do. And they've probably listened to a few of the podcasts. Now, not all of them know English. So so sometimes uh, somebody that does know it kind of has to translate for them or tell them what's happening. But yeah, I would imagine they would know who you are. They well, that makes heard you probably you as far
0: as knowing English, that might make two of us <laughs> yeah. or three of us <laughs> or four of us, depending on how many friends you have who are listening. But I kind of find that fascinating that here we are sitting and, and broadcasting a game and I won't say quite halfway around the world, but close to it. Yeah. You have people listening to the game that we're broadcasting is we sit there and talk about Moorhead state university and its opponents and things like that. And, uh, did they, did they listen to the podcast at all? Because, uh, we're talking about them right now. We'll probably mention them again. Uh, a, yeah. A future podcast or two or whatever.
1: Right. And well, they, pr- I, I, Think a couple of them do. Yeah, they do because they, they've talked about it. But um Did that like was it? the other thing at the game they were sending us pictures of them wa- or listening to us <laughs> <laughs> while we yeah. were on the air. I thought that I thought that
0: cool. was entertaining. I do remember you showing me one of those pictures. Uh yeah. How they like the podcast.
1: Uh I guess well, I mean, I they say they like it. I don't know. They're 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 probably just being nice. I mean, well, but is uh, it they,
0: possible because you have uh inside connections here. For me to order a pizza.
1: Yeah, it might not be in the best shape when it gets here. It's not going to
0: be 30 minutes or less like Domino's. I'm right. that right now.
1: My favorite pizza in the world is at a place that's in Caprino. It's called Atena, which is a Greek name. I don't know why they got that name. And to them, it's just the town pizzeria. It's nothing special. It would sort of be like what Cracker Barrel or Reno's is to us. Now, I mean, we really like those places. But if you took someone to one of those restaurants, and they responded like, Oh, my God, that is the best food I've ever eaten in my life. They'd probably look at you like, what is the matter with you? So they think it's hilarious that I think that that is the best uh, that I've ever had. But it is. I-, I mean, there's just no getting around it. Believe it or not, I, it doesn't seem real, but I'm actually leaving to go see them here in about a week, and I'm sure that that is the first place we will go. Hmm. Um, but you yeah, have the pizza there. Typically, it's thin crust. They don't really slice it. They don't really have slices. It's just by the pie. They sort of – most of them eat it with a knife and fork, or some of them pick it up. But the pizza there is really, really
0: good. What's the difference in the taste? I don't – theirs
1: is more – sort of just basic like it's just the crust it's not as much it's not as toppings heavy as what we have over here uh the tomato sauce is the same i guess the the biggest difference is just sort of how fresh it is and they use those like wood fire ovens to to cook it
0: all right now I'll ask you this because I'm a Chicago guy, and that's the home of Deep Dish Pizza, and yeah, you know, I love Lou Malnati's, and I love Giordano's, uh, and there are several local mom and pops that have gotten great too. pizza yeah. from up in that area. If you can't find a good pizza in Chicago, you're probably not really in the Chicago area, right? or you don't really know what good pizza is, but do they know much about the thicker pizza, the thick crust pizza?
1: Yeah, they have thicker pizza. There's pizza, like the Napoleon pizza is thicker. There's something called pizza l'Italiano, which is basically the square slices. But that's not like what you would get at a pizzeria. That's more or less street food. But when they've been over here and eaten the Chicago pizza, they really liked it. Uh, It's not what they would consider. Like, to them, it's almost like a different type of food, but they... They actually like the food over here a lot. One of their favorite places is Cracker Barrel, which I think is (laughs) funny. But when you stop and think about it, there's nothing like that over there. There's no Southern, what do you call it? Soul food or Southern type of food, like what you get at Cracker Barrel. And they just think it's amazing.
0: Well, I like Cracker Barrel too. I mean, yeah, I love the breakfast there, obviously. And uh, fried chicken is great. Uh, I mean... It is kind of a piece of Americana, and I can see why they might like it.
1: Yeah, they love cheeseburgers. They don't again things that you normally get over here that that you just kind of think are kind of routine. They might not get but a couple of cheeseburgers a year.
0: You say they like football. They follow Moorhead State football. Do they understand the game pretty well?
1: One guy in particular. Absolutely does. He loves football, always has. And I guess that's almost sort of like being a huge rugby fan over here. Like, yeah, there's people that like it, but, you know, nine sports fans out of 10 probably don't. The rest of them, they don't really get into American football. I, I think one of them described it. Uh, it was the best description of football I've ever heard. She says, it's committee meetings interrupted by 10 minutes of or 10 seconds of violence which is an ingenious description. Well, after a
0: (laughs) 10-minute committee meeting, I would probably become violent myself.
1: Yeah, (laughs) but but they huddle up and, like, soccer obviously is the big sport over there. Rugby's big. And if you look at most of their games, they like basketball too, but soccer is the big sport. The ball is in play all of the time, whereas in football, and you know this from calling the game, for probably 50, 50 minutes of the clock running, the ball is dead. Mm-hmm. So it isn't – I think if you're not conditioned to it or you didn't grow up with it or you're not that familiar with it, you're just like, this is just a bunch of standing around. I don't understand why this is such a popular game.
0: Well, the criticism of, of soccer over here – Yeah. And I, I think indoor soccer kind of mitigates that criticism is that the ball is always in the middle of the field and going back and forth, but there's just not enough scoring to entertain American fans
1: that's fair i think that there's a lot i mean soccer is probably my favorite sport or one of my favorite sports but there's still a lot of things i don't like about it or i think that could be a lot better about it one of them is if if it's like a league game with not a lot of import and not a huge sense of urgency sometimes they don't play with a sense of urgency you don't get a lot of attacking and yeah it's this boring pass it around the midfield A lot of the drama in soccer isn't so much from the scoring as it is from the clock. If it's a not, well, certainly if it's a knockout game, but if it's a game of high stakes to where you need the three points from a win, or you need the one point from a tie and you get it and it's one, one or one nothing, and you're in the 57th minute, that last 33 minutes can give you a heart attack. It is an acquired taste. I, I think that American soccer fan guy, gets a little too offended and too upset when people don't like it. And I'm just more or less its – you you're just going to accept that it's a garage man sport. Not everyone's going to like it. And the reason they're not going to like it is, is kind of what you just said. It's kind of an acquired taste. And to them, where that might give me a heart attack when it's one nothing, and you either need that win or you're behind and you need that tie to get out of the group and go into the next game – uh, somebody else is just going to look at that and be like, what's what's happening? This isn't exciting.
0: Well, we're kind of delving into soccer, which we do plan to talk about it at some point uh, yeah. later on in, in depth, uh, America's taste for soccer or, or distaste in some cases. But I think, you know, it's a, it's, it's a sport that has grown quite a bit. I can remember uh, in 1968 uh, when I was uh, – kid in the chicago area they added a professional soccer team and people were kind of talking about it and wondering about the game a little bit and it's grown quite a bit since then but uh as far as your friends in italy go is there a chance to grow the moorhead state fan base out there i'd like to think so um
1: if i could just twist it into Telling Moorhead State that I'm at this is actually a work trip. That I'm on I'm trying to grow the sport and our, our brand over here. I think that would be great. So for that reason alone, I'm going to say, yeah, we can grow this. Just keep sending me over there and make and paying for it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice to have an international fan base, not only yeah. for Moorhead State but for halftime with Chuck and Drew. I think that's important as we move forward with this show because as we wear out our American audience, we're going to need to go to new places to find new people that are not worn out by us.
1: I'll say this, Chuck. I know that Moorhead State hasn't done a foreign tour in a while in in any sport and might not have any plans to do it anytime soon. But if we ever did one and we went over there, I don't think you understand the, the level of support that would be there if we ever did that.
0: So I want to make sure I'm there to find out <laughs> yeah. in addition to fine wine and dusky voluptuous women that Italy provides and, yeah. and great pizza. I will say my only connection to that country is the fact that uh, I have a second cousin who fought over in Italy during world war two with the U S army. Oh, okay. Anzio. But other than that, I know very, very little about this, this wonderful country. I mean, I've seen pictures and I've seen, video and movies, and it's a, it's a beautiful place.
1: Yeah. I do have a hard time understanding the language. I don't know much Italian, and maybe I think when people are trying to talk to me, they're being nice, but they could be saying things like, why the hell are you back, or what are you doing here? I don't know. I'm well, just assuming. I don't think so. Do
0: Italians, as they say, talk a lot with their hands? I've heard yeah. they do. Yeah. Well, there is sort of an international language that you can use there if you need to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great trip. I mean, We'll be back. We'll have a show next week uh, before Drew leaves for Italy for a few weeks. But obviously when he is uh, overseas, we'll be on hiatus for just a bit. But at the same time, uh, we hope that you have a great time. And I want to find out more about your trip after you get back.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right. Well, that uh, wraps it up for this week's halftime with Chuck and Drew. Drew, as always, we appreciate your contributions a great deal.
1: Well, you're welcome, Chuck.
0: And don't forget, those of you out there listening right now, if you'd like to email us with your comments and suggestions regarding our show, you can send those remarks. Uh, Please keep them clean. And those (laughs) ideas, too, as well. And the ideas should not consist of suggesting different body parts where we should store our show. Uh, You can send your remarks to halftime240 at gmail.com, halftime240 at gmail.com. That's Drew Barnett, I'm Chuck Mraz, and you've been listening to Halftime with Chuck and Drew.